we're going to dive into some deep, deep waters today. We're going to be exploring the mind in a very unique and critical way. A fashion of steel and trust. An implication of humanity's enslavement and begging. So we're going to be pointing the finger out at various types of behaviors. These fingers are not pointing at anyone or any person, but rather the behaviors themselves. So understand that first. If you take these messages personally, don't. Instead, identify the behaviors as separate from your true personality. So if you are someone who displays these characteristics, know that they are not good. These characteristics are not something you want to identify with. These are not things that you want defining your future and your life. And we begin. If you are a whiny person, if you are someone that complains consistently, stop and check yourself. What are you really saying? Oftentimes this behavior is a learned pattern, voicing dissatisfaction, voicing distrust, pointing the finger at others saying that they didn't do their job, they didn't do well enough. The soup is too hot, the soup is too cold. You get the idea. Now all of us complain, all of us have complaints. But do we build a system of personality out of it? Do we habitualize nitpicking? If so, we're setting the stage for a very unhappy and unfulfilling existence. Complaining. It's got to go. It's got to take a back door exit. It's got to be flushed into the toilet because it is a crappy behavior and it is not something that anyone wants to be around. No husband or wife or child or friend likes being picked at and it's only a matter of time until they stop hanging around the picker. Now, stereotypically, you might think of the old lady being like this, always complaining, always nitpicking. But in truth, it can be anyone, any color, any age. It doesn't matter because it's a learned behavior. And I'll outline exactly why 
this behavior is so toxic. And it may seem innocuous. It may seem mild or harmless even. But I'll tell you, this is one of the most toxic behaviors that one can display. And so it should be cut out altogether or at least limited and consciously realized. So when we complain, what we're actually saying is that we are unhappy with ourselves. Think of it. We are unhappy with ourselves, and so what we are going to do is to find fault in others. We're going to look around and see what's wrong and point it out and demand that somebody do something about it. Now, this is a very disturbing and toxic behavior because it defers blame. It distracts the person from the actual problem. What we suggest is an exercise. If you find this behavior cropping up in yourself is to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe I'm unhappy. Maybe I'm deeply disturbed right now. What am I dissatisfied about myself right now? What is it that's bugging me? What is it truly that I'm upset about? And go on a little Easter egg hunt within your mind and find out what's really bothering you. Start by identifying pain in the body. Find out what hurts. And then ask what this may mean. For instance, is your chest tight? Do you have pain in the shoulders? Do your fingers hurt? Whatever it is, there's a meaning there for you to discover. Because the body is full of clues that point you in the direction of self-discovery. Physical pain is merely a reflection or an abstraction of psychological and emotional pain. Meaning, the primary pain is psychological, emotional. It has to do with memory, you see? Because the body, in many ways, is a memory. It is built from what you ate in the past. It is an inhabitation of chemicals and ingredients that you've put into your body over time. It's a system of memories of experiences that you've had. And so physical pain is a clue that something's not quite right and it should be investigated, it should be looked into. There is a system of meditation for very unhappy people. I will outline it right now. First, stop complaining and stop picking on everyone around you in your life. Second, sit down and put your phone in the next room. Turn it off 
make sure there's no electronic devices on around you. Even lights can be very disturbing. And so turn off everything, sit down, drink a glass of water, get comfy. And then you close your eyes. This is best done early in the day when your energy is high. If you try this later, most likely you'll just fall asleep, which is fine too, but you won't have the breakthroughs. And so early in the morning or at an energy point in your day when you're high, when you're able to stay awake, when your brain's really working, unplug, sit down, close your eyes and ask the question, what is wrong with me? What is bothering me? What is my problem? And then sit and don't say anything. Don't think anything. Let the question echo. Let it change a little bit. Like, what has happened to me? Am I on my path? Am I happy? And just let it wait. Let the question wait. If you find your mind start to race and try to answer, oh, it's because of this and this, it's because of this and this, it's because of this and this, wait. Because the first things the mind wants to do is sweep the question under the rug, label it, classify it, categorize it, and then sweep it under the rug. And this will get you nowhere. And so say to the mind, no, I want to know the real answer. I want to know what really is happening and what is going on. And so sit there, think about it, listen, and wait. And if you feel nothing, then ask a new question. How can I feel better? How can I have a great day? How can I make amends with Perhaps a relationship that's struggling, that's important to you, like a mother or father or a daughter and son, or perhaps even your romantic partner or your best friend, whatever relationship that may be under stress, ask the question, how can I improve this relationship? And sit and wait for five minutes and see what comes to your mind. See what answers show up. Now, if you find yourself unable to do this, it means you've got a really, 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 really serious problem. You have a runaway mind. You have a mind that's disobeying you. And you have a mind that's running loose and wild. It's like a wrecking ball. It's gonna destroy any chance you have of happiness. In an extension of this exercise, ask yourself, do I value intelligence? Do I value victory? Do I value destruction? Do I value love? What is my highest priority in this life right now for me? And so you would focus on an emotional state or a state of being, you would say, what do I want out of life? Do I want to be happy? 
Do I want to be really, really smart? Do I want, do I want to be free? Do I want to be victorious against my enemies? Do I even want enemies? Do I want more friends? Do I want love and acceptance? Do I want admiration and respect? What is it that I want? And then really think about it. I don't want you to get a pen and paper and write this out. I want this to be fluid because the mind needs to pony up to the bar and pay its tab. The mind needs to be held accountable. The mind needs to serve you. You need to master your mind, you see? Now, a lot of people go and pay big bucks to sit on a couch and talk with a real professional therapist very powerful person that has the wealth and status to have an office, nice furniture, maybe a secretary. They might even be able to prescribe you chemicals. This is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is kind of the opposite, if you think about it. It's sitting down on the couch with yourself and your mind and having a one-on-one. -on -one. If you find yourself unable to do this, you have a big problem. Because this is one of the first things that anyone should be able to do. Now, becoming a fully conscious, fully autonomous self-loving, self-supporting human being is not a freebie. It's not a given in this life, and we all know this. It's much easier to defer and deflect. It's much easier to go pay some person to fix you, to take some pill to balance the chemistry. It's so much easier to point the fingers at this or that so much easier to complain. It's easier to go eat out and complain about the food. And what do they say about easy things? If it's easy, it must be great. If it's easy, it's the best. No, that's not what anyone says. Everyone says that anything worth having isn't easy. The sweetness only exists because of the struggle it took to get there. And so what I'm talking about right here, right now, with you, and this will not apply to everyone. This is more for people that are beginning, that are starting. This is for people that maybe a little bit older and more entrenched in negative thought pattern manifestation. This is for the people that are never happy and never satisfied and unfulfilled. Here's another exercise. You can call it a meditation if you want, but you don't have to call it that. You can call it an exercise because 
an exercise is like a five minute thing that anyone can do. It's like five minute abs, but for your brain, let's call it five minute brain. Perhaps you struggle with anger. Perhaps you have a temper. It's a strange word, first off, temper. It should really be, perhaps you have a, a weak temperament that easily gives way to anger, to hostility, to toxic negativity. Now, maybe this is self-inflicted, like you think negative thoughts about yourself, or maybe you direct it outward. Either way, the mind is being trained and conditioned as a relay and a replay to be negative and be more negative and be more negative in the future. And so this five-minute mind exercise would be an intervention for that behavior. Now, if you love being angry, this one's not for you. This is only if you want to be less angry. And so you would sit down, get your devices out of the room, have a nice little 10-foot buffer zone. If you're in a room, sit in the middle of it. Get comfortable. Don't try to sit on a hard floor and try to keep your body up. Have a nice chair or a pillow at least. You can lay down if you want. In fact, laying down, for some people it might be better. For some people it might make you a little bit lazy and fall asleep. So the key is to get comfortable, get isolated, and sit down and say, why am I so angry? Wait for the answer. You could say, what is there to be angry about? And then the mind will start listing off things, boom, 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 boom. Well this, this injustice, that injustice, oh, this really made me mad, this, 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 and then you say, okay, that's a nice list, but why am I so angry? Mm, the mind's going to have to work a little harder now. Well, it's because this happened in your childhood, and oh, maybe it's because you didn't get that that you wanted, and this and that, and say, okay, that's a nice list, but why? Anger. Why is that my response? Ooh, this confuses the mind. Now it has to really struggle. Well, mm, anger is a natural response, and it'll come up with all these things and excuses and reasons. And you say, listen, none of this makes sense. I want to know what is the purpose? What is the usefulness? Why anger? How does it serve me? What does it do to me? I really want to look at anger. And now imagine yourself embracing anger as a lifestyle choice. 100% aligned to anger. You breathe in anger. You breathe out anger. You eat angrily. You sleep angrily. Anyone you speak to, you're angry. Imagine what kind of life that would lead to. Imagine a month of living like this. What that would feel like. Imagine your emotions now shifting to a more true state. 
And oftentimes, you will find that anger is like this bandage that you're wearing. And there's a wound under it. What does the wound symbolize? Well, the wound is an injury. And look into the wound and ask, wound, how did you get here? Who made you? Why are you here with me? What is your name? And the wound may reply, I am sadness. I am loss. Whatever it may be. Sadness and loss is in many ways a root, a root issue that people have. And this anger is just a false fuel. It is a, an old bandage that has hardened and you have begun to confuse it with a part of yourself. So in this five minute exercise, you may say, okay, listen, I'm gonna take this old bandage off. I'm gonna take this anger off and I'm going to throw it in the waste bin and I'm gonna look at that wound and I'm gonna clean it with some water first. And I'm gonna see how it's doing. And this is your introduction to your truer self, you see. Because all along, that anger, it was just trying to cover up. It was artificial. And it needs to be there sometimes. Anger is a valuable thing. Like a bandage. It's very valuable. But it should not be kept there too long. It should be very temporary. It should allow the wound to scab up and then remove the bandage so that the wound can heal. Otherwise, you have a mess. You have a mess. And so when you throw away this bandage and dress the wound and clean the wound, you may actually go into your past. It's going to be different for everyone. What that wound tells you will be something extremely valuable, though. And so this is something I do recommend writing down because it's going to be something worth exploring. And this is an exercise that can be repeated as many times as you need to because if you have been practicing the art of anger for a while, it's going to be kind of a pattern or a memory that's strong. It's going to be a comfortable little gully fall into and so whenever you fall in anger do the exercise and do it while you're driving while you're walking whatever it can be shortened even to a minute as you become more proficient and the idea here is simple get to the root of things get to the root of things Transition. Let's transition into another idea. 
This is called open hostility. This idea of open hostility. Ooh, and this is a big one. Because this is an extension of anger. This is an arsenal of anger. It's actually a teaming up, forming a network of like-minded individuals who are angry and creating an open hostility toward an enemy, be it across the political divide, be it across a religious divide, be it whatever. The idea is, is that these sad and hurt individuals have allowed their anger to become part of them and then now they have created a new branch of this anger an open hostility toward another group and they use social media they use facebook they use twitter they use any of these mechanisms by which to employ open hostility toward another group and this perpetuates it's a self feeding cycle and it becomes a pattern and a ritual and this is one of the most toxic and destructive things that someone could do with their time with their energy and life and yet look at what's happening everyone knows that the comment section and that these back and forth feuds turn toxic and they turn rancid. But why? Why? And what if you've been partaking in this and you want to stop? How you stop? Are you addicted to it? Do you need it? Does it make life better? Vengeance has a certain taste and feel to it, doesn't it? Does it feel good to hurt someone else? Hurt with your words or with your insight, using your intellect as a dagger to slash away the intruder? Well, if someone is doing this day in and day out, it creates a personality defect. creates someone that's not true they're no longer a true human being and this fascination this hobby they have of going to war with the other faction or trying to destroy people this will creep in because it is insidious it will creep into their life and it will creep in into their family life it will creep in into their interpersonal life, if they still have one. It will creep into their finances, into how they drive, into their work, everything. Everything will be seen in terms of black and white. Everything will be seen in terms of wrong and right. And guess who's right all the time? Of course, it's them. They have to be right. To admit otherwise would start the disarmament process. And so if we're building up arms, if we're creating an arsenal, 
We're militarizing our psyche and our intellect and aligning it against an enemy. Well, that's great. That's great. Just know what you're doing. Know what you're doing and know what's going to happen. Think it through. What is the end game to all of this? Now, if someone in this position would wish to stop, it's very difficult because at this point it's become an addiction. It's very difficult to, to quit an addiction because the biology in their memory has become hardened. Their brain has become aligned to this type of behavior. And so all we can do as people is choose what we want to do with our life. That's it. And if we're engaging in feuds and battles online over issues and subjects, we should really ask ourselves, what is the end game here? What am I getting out of this? What is this doing to me? Am I happy? Am I fulfilled? Am I making good use of my time? These are the questions that we should ask. And if you are not happy, if you want to stop, then there is a prescription to do so. It's a process. And it's similar to any addiction or any behavior that is destructive that one wishes to stop. If one wishes to lose weight, there's one thing to do, just one thing, and that is limit your caloric intake. And you can add exercise to that. But the number one thing is just to limit your caloric intake. And over time, the body will rebalance. If one wishes to save money, one will need to limit their spending. And if one wishes to make more money, to work harder and to earn more, that's fine. But first and foremost, one would need to, without changing anything else, limit their spending and eliminate unnecessary expenditures. And so we apply that principle to our subject today. And what you will need to do is limit the complaining, to cut it out completely to limit the fighting, to eliminate it completely, to catch yourself when you're doing it. Because like anything, it takes on a life of its own. Like anything or any habit or any idea, it's a force to be reckoned with. And they say the things we do, the things we own, they end up owning us, they end up doing us if we allow it to grow unchecked. So every habit, every vestige, every investment, 
will grow or it will shrink depending upon what we put into it, how we feed it. And there is a counterpart to anger, complaining, fighting, hostility. There is a counterpart, and that is kindness. That is kindness. And, and these people would say, well, I am kind to my kind. But that's not what I'm talking about. Kindness. Forgiving. Letting it go. Letting the grudge go. Letting someone else fight it out. Someone that still needs to figure these things out. You see, everyone out there is so focused on changing each other, on influencing each other. They're so focused on being right and showing the other side that they're wrong. So the prescription would be asking yourself the question, am I right? And knowing that no, there's no way you can be right all the time. It's mathematically impossible to be right all the time. And so let's just assume that you're wrong more than half the time. And that will make the way much easier to apologize, to forgive, to put yourself in a little time out, think about what you've been doing, and then to ask the real questions, by the way, the real questions, which they don't really tell you this in school. The real question is, what do I hope to get out of this life? Out of this finite timeline and this one body I have, what do I hope to get? At the end of my line, and I look back at what I've done and what I've seen, what I've experienced, will I be happy? Ooh, that's the question no one wants to ask. That's the, no, that's the one that no one even wants to think about because it brings up the fear. The fear of dying. But it's a fear we all must look at. It's a fact. It's a fact. There are a few guarantees in life, very few. One of them is death. No one escapes it. It's usually a surprise. Oftentimes it comes much earlier or it comes at an inconvenient time. For most people, it leaves a wake of loss and sadness of those that survive them. And so death is a critical, critical subject which school seems to just not talk about. It's just not discussed. In fact, the human species is hell-bent on destroying death, fighting death at every step. They wage their war on cancer. They wage their war on 
Alzheimer's. It's always a war, isn't it? Because people have lost their humility and their graciousness, they forget that life, it's a loan and it will be repaid in full. Life is a gift and it will have to be returned. Meditating on your own death every single day should be a priority for every conscious living human being on this planet. But nobody does it. Very, very few even think about it. Because it's sad. It's sad to think about. And if you're not sad at the thought of you dying, think about the one you love and think about them dying. What does that do to you? If you have someone that you really, really love and care for, and you really want to become a better person and more forgiving, more kind, more loving, more prosperous, more generous, more affluent, do the death meditation. Sit there, as we discussed before, no distractions, comfortable, five minutes, and visualize the end of your line. Or if you're having trouble doing that, or in conjunction to that rather, visualize the ones you love in your life, what it would be like to lose them, and how would you go on? What would you consider? How would you look at things differently? There are many people that have a near-death experience and it creates a radical shift in their behavior. And oftentimes they feel like they've got a second lease on life, a renewed sense of purpose, a new shift in priorities. And yet, you don't have to have a terrible accident or die for a minute on the operating table in order to have this. All you need to do is think about it, to meditate on it. Normal people simply won't do this. Because it's uncomfortable, because it's sad, because it would expose the fraud that's inside of them. End of story, period. But that's okay. We don't need everyone to do it. If you're listening to this and you're on the path to self-discovery and you're really starting to pick apart the locks that are keeping you in place, try it. You might like it. You might appreciate life a lot more. It could actually erode the calcification that's built up over time. Pattern and callousness are a cause and a natural sequence of the usual, the routine. We 
get used to things. We take them for granted. That's okay. It happens to all of us. But sitting down and thinking about things, meditating on them, unplugging from our rituals, stopping ourselves from lashing out and distracting ourselves in some kind of false war of ideas, this is valuable because this gives us a renewed appreciation for the for the gift of life. And I realize that a lot of people aren't going to see it like this. A lot of people are going to see life as cruel. They see things as a hoax. They think that there's nothing worth living for. And those people aren't going to take the time to listen to this. But all of us that are on the path to self-exploration, we all have a little bit of that inside of us, don't we? We all have that callousness. We all get jaded. We take things for granted. And the key is to dismiss those characteristics from our being so that we can make the most out of this very short, wonderful, mysterious experience that we call life, that we experience. We experience being a baby, being very young, growing up. We experience the teenage years, if we're lucky. We experience our adulthood, our middle age, and then our old years, our golden years they're supposed to be. We experience a whole range. And if we are not conscious of that process, well, we sealed our own tomb, didn't we? We sealed our fate. We were fated to be miserable, to become that old, bitter person, to become unappreciative and openly hostile toward others. And that's a curse. Make no mistake. If you're listening to this and you're on the road to self-discovery, that's great. And one of the questions that's going to come up is, you know, like, gosh, how do I help other people? How do I help my parents? How do I help my grandparents? How do I do it? It's a difficult situation. Because in order to help other people, you have to be okay yourself first. You have to have some answers. And then your answers aren't necessarily going to be their answers. But with patience, with gentleness, and with the essence of allowance and forgiveness, you can indeed improve your relationships with a whole range of people. And you may realize that some of these relationships died a long time ago and there's no resurrecting them. Some are worth saving. Some of your relationships are so precious that it escapes us how powerful of a relationship it can be and that's a tragedy 
That's a damn shame right there. When you let the best relationships die in your hands because of callousness or insensitivity. So I hope this message has brought some light into dark places. My hope is always to help someone, to share my perspective, to share a little bit of my journey with you. So make it a great day. Go save somebody. Save yourself. Don't save the best for last. Make it happen. You can do it.